Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this uh, latest episode in the 30 Years of Revolution series, where we are celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Revolution Software. Last week, you may have heard my interviews with Tony Warriner and Charles Cecil, two of the co-founders of the studio. Well, this week, I speak with Steve Ince, who was one of the writers and producers of the Broken Sword series. He was a background artist on Beneath the Steel Sky. So he spoke to me about his time at Revolution, and he gave some behind-the-scenes stories and anecdotes about working on those games. He's also written a book about uh, writing for narrative uh, games as well. And he's worked on many different other games. He's he designed so blunt so blonde he worked on the witcher and the witcher 2 so he speaks about all that and much much more so please enjoy my interview with steve ince i am delighted and honored to be joined by steve ince who amongst many things you worked on a number of the games at revolution mainly the broken sword series and you've worked on a lot of other things as well you wrote a book you wrote many articles and so we'll try and speak about as many of those things as we can um we're here to celebrate 30 year anniversary of revolution um i forgot to mention that when i interviewed tony warriner so i thought i mentioned that at the top of the interview (laughs) (laughs) so yeah go shorsha so how are you steve I'm fine, thank you, and, and thank you for inviting me along to uh, take part in your your celebration. Uh, no, thank you very much. Um, I, as I mentioned to you, I'm honoured to speak to you because uh, I think for most people around the world, 2020 is probably a terrible year. But I'm, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people from Revolution, so that's helping to make up for this year. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> make it memorable in a good way, at least for me and hopefully for other people as well. Uh, how, how are you doing, all things considered, uh, to start off? <laughs> uh, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, obviously, the, the situation here in the UK is, is pretty dire, isn't it? Um, it? You know, not as not as bad as some places, but a lot worse than others. Um, and we, you know, I do what I can to, to stay safe and, and hopefully, you know, sort of fit a little bit of game playing and game, game creation in between. Oh, it's good, good <laughs> to hear you're still keeping busy and keep it, keeping active. Are, are you playing any game at the moment that you'd like to mention or? Um, I, I downloaded a game yesterday called Townscaper, which isn't, uh, it's, it's more of a toy than a game. You know, you kind of like you you build these little townscapes, um, but it's rather cute and rather fun. Um, you know, sort of, and I, I, you know, so it's the sort of thing you can you can just fiddle around with to to you know while away, you know, ten minutes or half an hour or, or something. Um, but um, I've been playing in a number of recent adventures. You know, sort of dipping in here and there. Um, you know, sort of the, the, I think there are a lot of good adventures um, around. Um, I don't always get enough time to play them completely, but I like to I like to support the the, the development of them by the games and and at least play 
an hour or so of each one um, just to see what they're like. And there, there are some good ones. Um, some, you know, could be better. But I think <laughs> that, that you know, sort of like even when you, you look back at, uh, at some of the things that I've done, you know, I look back and go, mm, you know, that could be better. <laughs> um, but, you know, I like I like the stuff that that's, um, Dave Gilbert does. Uh, what right, do you like yeah. games? You know, sort of like I like the... I like the, the, the style. I wish he would do them at higher resolution, um, personally. <laughs> um, but that's just, that's just me. You know, that doesn't stop them being good games. That's just a visual thing that, you know, um, but, but I like, I like, I like what he's doing. I like the way that, that he approaches not only, you know, developing his own games, but, but publishing other people's games as well. Um, which, which gives a nice kind of solid core, I think, to, to modern adventures. Uh, of the modern adventure scene, shall we say? Um, and I think that that you know, sort of, there, there are other things that kind of probably people don't think of as as adventures, and and yet have a nice story to them. There's there's all kinds of things. Um, who was that? That um, oh grief! Something about midnight, wasn't there? Oh, what did they call it? <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it. I, I know there's a game called Three Minutes to Midnight. That's not been released yet, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the only other thing I, no, it was Midnight. It was Night in the Woods. Oh and yes, was, yes, yes. And, and, and games close. like that, which 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 are lovely. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have advent, you know, proper adventure puzzles usually and, and things, but they're still nice interactive experiences and, and narrative experiences. And I, I think that we're seeing a lot more of that coming through which which can only be a good thing um you know sort of and 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 so you know i've been mixing up a little bit um, with that yeah because it's fascinating to see how even some of the big triple a games have taken their cue from adventure games i mean probably the most recent example is the last of us 2 which most people are talking about the narrative uh both positive and negative and no spoilers Mm -hmm. here i'm still uh, well, I'm watching it because I don't have a PS4, but I know that uh, you know very few people are talking about the gameplay, but they're all talking about the narrative. And the same with Uncharted, and I saw Red Dead Redemption 2 had choices like what we have yeah. in adventure games, and Assassin's Creed had dialogue options. So all these AAA games are taking different things from uh, the adventure game genre and adding it to, to their games, which is fascinating yes. to see. Yeah. So, oh, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, sort of like you even get you know, some of these games kind of have adventure-like puzzles here and there, you mm. know, sort of, um, or, or some of them, they might focus on the puzzles, you know, like um, like kind of The Witness does, mm. although they're, they're very much a kind of, I would say that they're more mist-inspired puzzles than, than probably Broken Sword-inspired puzzles. Um, <laughs> But but you know what I mean. The sort of like there's an awful lot of puzzle games with a narrative and and stuff like that. And and, and even in the even in the casual um, arena, you get um, you know like hidden object games that have um, a, a nice narrative and maybe a few you know sort of like um, adventure style puzzles in them. You know, and I've worked on a few few of those games and and they're good fun. I mean, they're a bit lightweight in terms of narrative mm. um but still it's still nice nice to work on um so so i think there's a, an awful lot that maybe isn't pure 
adventure, but have a lot of, you know, as you say, you know, sort of like a lot of, they've taken a lot from the adventure and in, in, incorporated it in that particular style of, of game. Yeah, I mean, I love how the adventure genre is evolving. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. been evolving, you know, from the text adventures and then graphics adventures and then to uh, the text parser and then point and click. So and it's just, this is just, I think, another way that it's evolving or becoming, you know, narrative games or puzzle, explore, you know, or exploration games. Because now in the last few years, we've had uh, the exploration games or walking simulators, which I know are not for everybody. But I for, for <laughs> I don't uh, mind them. <laughs> but, I, don't, I don't hate them <laughs> per se. Um, I think it's that some of them have practically no interactivity in them. Right. And so all you're doing is walking, um, like um, Dear Esther. Now right, that's I haven't fa- actually played it. It's a fabulous looking game. Um, but literally, all you do is wander around, and and as you pass certain points on the paths, you trip the next bit of story or narrative, and it's a bit, I don't know, I, I, you know. And there's all these kind of like signs and symbols painted everywhere. There's 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 images and, and things stuck on the walls and and so on, and you can't interact with them right, at, yes. um, at any point. I don't know. It's just it's just frustrating. To wander around this world and not actually directly yeah, but... interact with it, and you know, and it's a shame because I think it's a beautiful looking game, and it is nice to wander around. It's just that frustration of, of not, you know, of its lack of interactivity, and it's, it's yeah, it is just the frustration. It, it you know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that style, with with, with you know, doing that, but you know, if there is no interactivity, is it really a game? that's true I mean that's certainly a question that has been posed and I know many people uh, have asked that question you say are there really games are there adventure games but I think it's like everything else I think there might be some good or some better examples than others I just played Gone Home which I really enjoyed myself but I do understand your point with the lack of interactivity because I had the same issue with the Siberia series I played the first two games which overall I really liked but it was very frustrating seeing how beautiful those games were, but then you couldn't interact with them. You know, couldn't interact yeah. with anywhere in the world. But so I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Yes, I know what you mean. Um, Siberia, there was a lot of like pre-rendered screens, weren't they? Mm. And, and and they looked really nice, as you say. And a lot of empty but, screens. <laughs> yes, but, but but some of those screens you did just walk through them mm-hmm. to the next one, you know. And there was, you know, it might be just a snowy scene of some trees and stuff, and there was nothing to interact with. The only thing you did was to walk through it to the next location. And you think, well, it's just a waste of time, really. Exactly. You know, and a waste of money for developers. (laughs) Why not cut out those screens and go straight from one interactive screen to another, the next interactive screen? And I think that that's, you know. I think sometimes the the prettiness can can overtake the the um the need to be interactive. Absolutely. It's uh and that that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about um the Broken Sword games and Beneath the Steel Sky is that there's mm. never any scene that felt that was that shouldn't be there. Mm. That every, everyone every scene interaction had i mean there are some scenes where you get for a laugh but they all serve a purpose 
Um, mm. So, you know, that's what, you know, and there were especially Broken Sword games were long games as well. But each scene, you know, you, you found out a little bit about the world or about George Stobart's personality or, mm. <laughs> or anything as well, which was uh, was great. So, um, well, I suppose, first of all, um, I wanted to, to ask you, Dan, about because you told me before we started recording that you Kate, you started with Revolution a few years after it had been started. So I was wondering, mm-hmm. how did you, how did you join Revolution to begin with? How did you find out about a job opening there? Not the most exciting <laughs> way of phrase the question, but <laughs> <laughs> how yeah. did you begin your career with Re- Revolution? <laughs> I beat down the door and, <laughs> and demanded that they hire me. No, I was I was actually between jobs and I was looking for a change of career because I wanted something more creative. I've been working at a metal foundry for some time. <laughs> um, and as someone I knew knew Charles and said told me that they were looking for um a game artist. And in spite of the fact that I've, I've never done any any artwork on a computer, I went along for an interview and I looked at my artwork samples. So I, you know, and then I got a, a kind of a test period to make sure that I could get myself up to speed quickly enough. Um, so I started at Revolution uh, at the beginning of '93 um, as as a a background artist and um, sprite animator. So I did I did a few of the a few pieces of art for Beneath the Steel Sky, but I did a lot of um, I did a lot of uh, sprite graphics, but mostly background sprites, not the character sprites. You know things like things like the the um, rocks falling down <laughs> in the tunnel, if you remember that. Yes, a, I believe we do. Yes. There's a diagonal tunnel and, and, and Foster must run down there to, to avoid these falling rocks. And I animated all the falling rocks, <laughs> amongst well, other things. <laughs> and a, an important scene. So. <laughs> yes, I, I, I animated the steam in the power room as well. You know, when, when they break the pipe and the steam gushes out. Oh, yes, yes. Well, yes, so you I had... animated the steam. And I animated the door opening when, when that's blown open. <laughs> so yeah, there's lot, there's lots of stuff you know dotted around the game that that are mine. Um, so, so kind of like the action events of the of the game, <laughs> the most dramatic well, points. Well, some of them, yeah, some, some of them. It's all background stuff. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if you've realised, but uh, a number of people really enjoyed that game. A number of people really like Beneath the Steel Sky, in particular how really? how it looks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> um, oh, I think that passed me by. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I mean, let me be the first to tell you that there are some people, probably five, maybe ten, who say they really like the look of the game and the game in general. <laughs> or maybe a few more. <laughs> ten, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, well, you have me to thank for that, for letting you know. <laughs> but it's it's funny as well because, um, as I'm sure you're aware, that uh, Beyond the Steel Sky is at a, a later time recording about to be released, and uh, they've got they're making this in 3D. And yeah. now I I don't personally have a project. Beyond the Steel Sky looks really nice, but I know there are some people 
who have been saying, oh, Beyond the Sky, it looks nothing like Beneath the Sky. It's not 2D pixel art like the original. So I much prefer the original. Um, I'm not going to touch it if it's in 3D. So now I I think, you know, I've, what I've been saying is, look, give the game a chance. <laughs> it might not be exactly like Beneath the Sky, but, it, you know, it could still be good. But I just want to want to ask you, maybe, what, what is your opinion then of since you worked i believe you've worked both on 2d and 3d with the later broken sword games mm. um what what is your uh what is your thoughts then on the different styles of the games uh, do you have any thoughts on the different styles um I mean, personally I, I have a particular liking for 2d um because i like the way that 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 Particularly that, that developed after, after we did uh, Beneath the Steel Sky and moved on to Broken Sword, we obviously went up, you know, from from quite a low resolution to a, a much higher resolution at that time. Obviously, nowadays that's that's still regarded as low resolution, but it was such a fundamental leap of of quality, you know, that we were able to apply, and you know, sort of like we we drew in guys from the um, Don Bluth Studios, um, some some background people from there to to help us with the backgrounds, and they did you know they sketched the backgrounds, and then we we got some of the people at Revolution to colour them, um, and I think that combination, you know, sort of like that 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 traditional um, animation background approach along with you know computer colouring, just gave it such a, a rich look, and I think that that a lot of 3D struggles with that. Mm. I think it's obviously getting better now. Um, but when we did Broken Sword 3 and we, we moved to 3D with that, we did an awful lot of experimentation to try and recapture that that um, richness. You know, the richness, the colour in the shadows and things like this that, that um, existed in, in the in previous 2D games. Um, and and whilst I think that we went a long way towards that, I still don't think it quite has that that the quality that the 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 two D did. Um, you know, the, so so visually, I I do prefer two D, um, but I think that that you, it lends itself to much more variety of style as well. I mean, you look at you know, sort of a lot of the 2D games that have appeared over the years, and and there is some incre- incredible um, variety of style. I think people are applying more style to 3D now. Mm. Um, I think they're getting the head around. You know, there's certain people getting their heads around the the the, the quality of of 3D and what it can do and what textures can do and and, and so on. Um, but you know, sort of whether Beyond a Steel Sky will be as good a game. I don't think it will be down to the the way it looks, the graphics. I think I think it will be down to the characters, the interactions, and the gameplay. Yeah, those are the main things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, to some extent, the graphics are a little superficial in that in that you know the heart of it is the story and the characters and and the how they the puzzles push forward the story that the story and, and and so on um and i think that you know hopefully the the 
the graphics will add to that that experience. I mean, I don't know. I've not worked on it in any way, shape or form. I don't know anything about it. I've only seen the <clears throat> the trailer and a little gameplay video that somebody put on. Um, so I don't really know. And and I don't think it's easy to to judge from from those things. Um, so I won't be really judging it until, until I've had to go playing it myself. Right, yeah, because sometimes I find that you see a trailer and you say, oh, it looks nice, and then you play a game. And it's not until you start playing it that you realize, oh, this looks really nice. It um, mm. it's uh, it happened. What's the name of the game? I think uh, Saint Columbus Lockdown. That the graphics, you know, the screenshots look nice, but then when I started playing it, and I saw the detail in the backgrounds and in the screenshots, and I thought, wow, now I can really appreciate how it looks mm. and the work that went into making the game. But yeah, you mentioned the the narrative there as well, and you've worked. For a number of years on narrative design as well, and uh, you know what? One of the things because then you worked as I believe as a producer of Broken Sword Two, um, I believe. Um, so what, what was uh, what was your role as producer then? What what uh, what did your work involve with? Um, <clears throat> well, um, I became producer um, sort of partway into Broken Sword One um, because. There was, there was no one project managing the the um, project basically, you know, sort of like, and and I was the only one that was putting in any work on the organisation. I, I was kind of like creating lists of animes that we needed to define, that we needed to kind of say, <clears throat> you know, we need an animation of George in this particular room doing this specific thing, you know, and 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 so on. So I, so I came up with a a way of naming them. Because back then we we could only have eight letter file names. <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the things that we moved on. I mean, file names can be huge these days, but back then we had to use eight characters, and 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 so we had to name each one in a specific way. Um, so we knew we knew exactly where it would go. So you know, sort of. <laughs> So, so a George animation might be, you know, a specific George animation. So you have the other kind of like the, the standard set of him walking around and such. But you might have a specific animation for a room. So it might be, you know, sort of like Geo for George. Uh, and then the room would be, say, 12. It might be for room 12. And then, well, screen 12, depending on how you want to. We, we called everything rooms back then. But now these days you tend to refer to things as screens. But anyway, so maybe Geo 12, and then you it might be Shock. So you'd have SHK for Shock, um, you know. And that was, or oh, that might be, you know, that might be reduced to SH or SK or something like this. If you had more than one, because you might put a number at the end. So, so that was the eight characters, and and this. You know, sort of like this system had to be applied throughout the whole um, game, so we knew exactly where where all these different items went. <laughs> which, which sounds which sounds crazy, but you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, everyone quickly got into the code. You know, that was, that was it, the thing. It's amazing how things have how times have changed now since then, because yeah. it's still recent. It's only about twenty odd years. Back. And since then, te- technology has just, um, you know, has just changed so much that 
even that we have more, what is it, more gigabytes or more technology in our phones than what they use to send <laughs> people to the moon, which is just crazy yeah. to me. <laughs> um, well, well, I remember, um, you know, sort of like in, in my early days at Revolution, um, we got a new computer in the office because we needed more power to to run Photoshop. Um, and, you know, sort of like Photoshop was primarily a Mac thing then. And we, we were all on PCs. Um, you know, there was a version of Photoshop for PC, but you needed a bit, we needed a bit more memory. So we've got a new computer in the office and it had four meg of memory. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, God, you know, eight gig is standard these days, isn't it? You know, it's like, about four meg. And we, we all thought that that was astonishing. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it kind of is that, you know, the limitations that you guys had back then, and still you were able to make the games that you made that turn out so well, because Broken Sword, at least one at least, was a very long game. It's a very big game. Yes, and it's, yes. it's longer than most adventure games nowadays. So I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to fit all that <laughs> into the technology that you were using at the time. Yes, well, I think we were fortunate in that, you know, sort of like CDs had just you know, right. be- become the norm. I mean, when we did Beneath Steel Sky, you know, sort of like it was even more restrictive because we were using floppy disks. And, and this goes kind of back to the idea that, um, you know, we don't want to waste any, any, um, space on on screens that that um didn't have much interactivity in them because if you you know if you look at the, all the screens in 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 beneath the sky i mean they all have characters in them you all have mm. you know interactivity and, and stuff like this and there's a lot going on in all those screens you know so so we had to make them count because otherwise you know how can we justify you know maybe having an extra screen if it's going to mean an extra you know that, that it's going to push us over into another floppy disk you know i mean on the on the amiga i mean it, it came on 14 floppy disks i mean that was just incredible wow. <laughs> was um you know and all that disk swapping that people had to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazingly ticking back to those times <laughs> yeah i mean you know sort of like we download games now we don't think about mm-hmm. anything at all, you know, to do with, you know, you know, the, the installation process these days is 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 almost, you know, sort of. Well, you, you tend if you download something from Steam, say, it just happens in the background, doesn't it? And then it pops mm-hmm. up and says, oh yeah, we've we've um, we've installed this, finished installing this game. Uh, <laughs> think, oh no, that's that's nice. I'll, I'll I'll play it in half an hour when I finish. <laughs> you know, and 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 then it was kind of. You know, it was either a chore to install, or if you were on the you know, Amiga, you know you couldn't unless you had you know a hard drive, you couldn't you couldn't install it. So you wanted to keep swapping the discs. And <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you think about it. Just kind of like how much well patience as well the players had, yeah. which I don't think anyone would have the patience. I mean, because no. you can probably it's, imagine. It's today, don't know the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> You can imagine now if, um, I mean, if you have to wait longer than five minutes to download a game from Steam, and yeah. that's something to complain about. And it's like, well, kids, back in my day. <laughs> um, but but so you 
you, you yeah. couldn't then do a Siberia and then add an empty screen because that could take up another floppy disk. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's it, you know, sort of. Um, and, and you know, sort of, I, I kind of phrase, which was you know, interaction de- density. And, you know, sort of pe- people started complaining about, oh, modern games aren't as good as the old ones. And, you know, sort of my feeling was that that wasn't really a fair justification. And what I think it, it was, was that you had a lot of empty screens, and, you know, sort of like, or, or even if you had something that was interactive, you know, there wasn't many interactive points in there. And and that, that was the big thing, you know, sort of like Beneath the Steel Sky and the Monkey Islands and, and so on. They all made a lot of use of all their all their screens and there were tons of, of things to interact with. You know, they had high interactive density. And I think that's what people were missing. It wasn't that the games were worse, the, you know, the more recent games were worse. It was the fact that, you know, kind of they were used to, you know, these screens being so rich in, in things to do. And, yeah. and, and I think it was a, a, a false perception that the games, the old games were better. And, you know, probably some of them were. <laughs> still, still one of my favorite games is, um, um, The Day of the Tentacle. Oh, yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is just superb. You know, the voice acting, the puzzles, the zaniness of it. Um, and another one is, um, Grim Fandango. As well, yeah. yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> Again, the voice acting is just unbelievably good. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that, that is something that, that, you know, the quality will, will, will never age. Um, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that, yes, there are those games that really are standout adventures. But I think that, you know, sort of that doesn't necessarily mean people can't create new games that, that stand out. Yeah. I mean, you, um, talking of recent games, I mean, you know, Lair of the Clockwork God um, yeah. is is an excellent game. I mean, it's a bit more, you know, there's a lot of actiony stuff in it. You know, sort of. <laughs> I'm not as as good as the actiony stuff as I used to be, <laughs> but but it's still a great game. It's great fun. And, you know, it's, it doesn't take itself too seriously and, and everything. And I think that that's yeah, it's a breath of fresh air, I think. Yeah, I still have to to play that game actually. I, t- I believe Laura played it and reviewed it, and she loved it. And I think everyone who I see who played it loved it. So I really have to try that game. Mm. Um, although I'm the same, I don't really like action so much. I'm not very good at it myself. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because I I actually played. Um, I believe you worked on this game as well. Uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, in Cold Blood, which was, um, I think, was it the only <laughs> action adventure, and I enjoy it. But I told it to Tony. I have to make a confession that I played this game with the invincibility cheat because that, <laughs> that was my only way of getting through it. Because I thought I'm really curious about this game. I really love the story and the characters, but I keep dying. And mm. <laughs> so, um, but this game seems to be very progressive for its time. I mean, it seems to be taken straight out of the news, certainly nowadays. Um, this was, I know we're jump, jumping ahead, but, um, this was the, the first, I think the only real action adventure. Okay. So how, how did you go about, uh, you know, fitting the, the puzzles and then some of the action and the story into that game? What, what, are, what do you remember 
about making that game, if that question makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember it was a lot of hard work. Um, <laughs> I think the big part of the problem with with this game was the fact that it was... We, we, we were moving the characters in a kind of 3D environment, but the backgrounds were all pre-rendered. So you couldn't move the camera to kind of look around. Mm. You know, the, the cameras were, were these fixed, pre, you know, pre-rendered. So I think some of the some of the angles that we chose were a bit iffy in the sense that you weren't always clear whether a guard could see you or not. And there were a few places, particularly early on, um, where the character, the main character got shot, what they call him, John Cord, wasn't it? Yes. Um, where he, he would get shot and you think, oh, did, did that guy see me? <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and so I think it wasn't, it wasn't that I don't think, I don't think the action was overly hard. I think the, it was the fact that the camera angles didn't help you understand you know your position in relative to like the enemy positions as it were and so i think it was a shame that we we you know we didn't kind of like see these problems and 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 tweak camera angles and so on but um in terms of the actual you know if you compare it to something like broken sword which had something like 60 odd screens in in cold blood there were over 600 pre-rendered screens. Um, I mean, not all of them had, had, you know, a lot to interact with, <laughs> but it was an enormous, you know, game from that that point of view. Um, but you know, so so it was a lot. I mean, a lot of the action stuff was was treated like a puzzle. Oh, you need to get from here to there. You know, do you do it by sneaking around? beyond the boxes or do you shoot the shoot the guards or, or what have you um so i mean the way the way places were you know like you had to deal with a robot yes um, i remember <laughs> and the only way, way to deal with a robot was to encourage it to go back to its station uh, after you would planted something on its charge station um that would that would effectively you know zap it um, so you had to get it out of the way. Then you had to go to its charge station and, and plant on these devices and then um, hide again while it went back and got fried. So, so, so you know, kind of like often that kind of, you know, dealing with these the, these antagonists, if you like, uh, was, was more of a puzzle than, than pure action. Um, yeah, you still had to think. You had to think how to get past yes, them. yes. And sometimes it was about timing as well, you know, you know, sort of like wait, waiting for for a robot to go around on its route or the guard to go around on its route and and, and nip around while he was while he was out of sight, something like this. So I think that was the the, the approach we took. We we kind of wanted to approach it like we would a, a puzzle, you know. Um, and sometimes you just had to shoot <laughs> shoot these these guys and. <laughs> You know, um, but we we didn't let people shoot unarmed people. You know, the good guy. You know, the, our our hero never shot somebody unarmed, so the technicians he couldn't shoot. Mm. Um, which we felt was was you know sort of a reasonable rule of the of the game. 
Yeah, I, I remember that actually. I believe he could threaten the technicians. Yes. But, uh, yes, <laughs> but he couldn't actually shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I none remember... of them cottoned on to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, none of them thought, oh, he can't actually shoot us. It's, he's programmed not to shoot us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the, maybe the other guards they could have just dropped their weapons. Or <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the thing about you know approaching a game like that is that there was no AI because everything was was scripted. You know, sort of like so so if you threaten someone, they had you know a very specific response because it was in the conversation script to respond that way. <laughs> and I think that that is, I mean. It's just the way that, that that you approach that kind of game. It is, you know, it's not it's not Call of Duty or something like that. <laughs> but we didn't want we didn't want that kind of game. We wanted, you know, sort of like a spy adventure with with some action. And I, you know, it's not really an action game. It has some action in it, but I wouldn't say it was an action game. Right, and also that game you, uh, you had this, it had the same, you know, well, similar narrative structure, you know, of the serious story, but there is some comedy in it. I remember when yeah. the John Cord was talking to the guard about the football match, and <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but I believe the guard is saying, "Oh, such a team is winning," and then John Cord had to take, "Oh, this good or bad?" He goes, "Yay," and then he goes, "No, they're my team." Oh, boo, or something like that. I know. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but I really laughed at that scene. <laughs> so he still had the same ca- kind of narrative. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, yeah. <laughs> we had, um, if you remember the, the the land train. Yes, yes, that's another. Oh, that, that was part, huge yes. section because all those, you know, those five land train carriages, and they all had multiple um, locations in them. But in in one of the, those carriages. Um, there were two technicians, um, who, a male and a female, who were talking to each other. And you had to be a kind of, you know, one of these pseudo go-betweens, you know. Oh, will you tell so-and-so that I'm not speaking <laughs> to him? Um, oh, will you tell her that, you know, so I want to know what she did with that scarf? And, you know, it was... <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a bit, a bit of a lover's tiff that you were, you know, you had to kind of... And you know, sort of when I when I wrote that, I was <laughs> I just thought it was so silly, and I thought, oh, God. and 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 Charles didn't want to include it. He thought, oh no, no we can't have this. I said, oh, it's, really, it's good fun. People love it. And one of the other guys on the writing team, um, he was in hysterics, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I've probably done done something right here. <laughs> but you know sort of and I thought nothing more right. we went in the game you know, it was recorded went in the game and then it was probably some quite some time after the game came out that I read a review of it from some guy in America who's, who's uh, I don't know his name if I knew it I've forgotten it um, but he picked up on that he says you know sort of like you're going through, you're working through this game it's a huge game you know but it's all the little things that, that really make it. Like, for instance, and then he, he quoted this, you know, this interaction <laughs> between these, these two, you know, arguing lovers. And, um, you know, you sort of like, when somebody picks up on something that, that you've done like that, 
um, it just makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what helps revolution games stand out because they're hard to serious stories. You know, beneath the steel mm. sky, people are murdered right from the very first uh, intro. And yeah. uh, Broken Sword as well. There are some murders and there's some quite violent and shocking scenes, but there, there's some very funny moments as well. And that's, and this is another example in In Cold Blood, which has a very serious story and a spy kind of thriller, but then has scenes like this that, um, that you know, you, you, we can kind of, I think it releases attention a little bit. Then you go, oh, okay. And it, that's, um, you know, you can kind of relax and laugh a bit as well. So, mm. yeah, yeah. I think that that's important, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, that, so, definitely. Because, you know, in real life, you know, sort of we, we need to laugh every so often. Otherwise, I think we'd, we'd all, I think we'd all just have constant mental breakdowns, you know, because, you know, sort of the world is an awful place. You know, we've got to put some humour into it. Yeah, especially you in know. 2020, I mean. <laughs> yes, well, that's, that's what I'm thinking, you know, sort of. You know, and and you know, you, you, if you don't put humour in these things, you know, it's it's almost unnatural because that's the nature of people. You know, they make smart remarks, they make jokes at somebody's expense and, and stuff like this. They might not be, you know, might not want to be nasty, but you know, sort of the 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 joke, you know, breaks the tension or. You know, stops them getting wound up too much. And I think that, that particularly with, with Broken Sword, where you've got a character like George, who's just an ordinary bloke, he's, he's drawn into this this conspiracy, um, really, you know, sort of like almost by accident, isn't he? You know, so he's outside, he's outside a cafe where, I mean, he's not the target. He's <laughs> He becomes embroiled in this thing. He has no powers. He has no, mm. you know, particular skills or abilities that, you know, would, you know, lead him to to investigate. But he just feels that the need to to get to the bottom of this. And and I think that, you know, the the way he kind of like makes his his, you know, um, you know, sarcastic remarks and, and observations and stuff like this. You know, people identify with. I think that he's an ordinary bloke who, you know, kind of saves the world. <laughs> you know, and and you know, we see too many, you know, kind of muscle-bound heroes, don't we? You know, super-powered heroes and and so on. I mean, in in both games and film and television. But but you know, it's nice to have an ordinary bloke doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Because you mentioned George Stobart doesn't have any superpowers or anything, but he and he's just there. I mean, he's literally mm-hmm. having coffee and a bomb explodes in the cafe. <laughs> yeah. and, um, now, I think if that would be me, I would be staying well away from those people, but he still oh. goes head on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. saves the world. <laughs> yeah. But he had a little encouragement, didn't he? You know, so that's true. Nico. That's true. Who would you want to work alongside <laughs> Nico? <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. I, I suppose now that you mentioned it, if uh, if I had Nico encouraging me, I'd probably have been like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to save the world as well. I'm going to do what I can to <laughs> to get to the bottom of, of it. But um, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, many great uh, dialogue scenes as well. Even, uh, you know, in the Broken Sword series where, you know, I think you gently poke fun at different 
uh, nationalities, including my own uh, Ireland. And I was asked as well by someone, oh, what did you think about the, the section in Ireland? So were you offended? And I said, no, not at all, because it was very funny. That's the first thing, which has to be, but also kind of true with the stereotypes. <laughs> mm. That's, uh, you know, with the, in a pub, and with, uh, you know, there's a farmer, there's a priest and publican there, and you've got people playing live music, and it's like all, all of them in, in one. And then with that scene when, I believe, when it's a Sean who's kidnapped, and then the farmer says, it's the worst tragedy ever in our history. There is no drink. <laughs> I really laughed at that. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, sort of... I don't think we ever set out to be offensive or, or anything. No, I don't. I mean, think we wanted is, we wanted humour that that would feel natural in in you know an Irish setting. You know, it, it's. I mean, hopefully we came across. I mean, you know, there were a number of Irish people working on the game, and you know um, that I think helps as well. You know, the fact that you know you know, you, you have these things. You know, sort of you get that I don't know what is it a kind of laid backness don't you in in yes I mean it's not just it's not just Ireland I think it's these you know the country pub thing isn't it you know sort of you know you'll get a few people in the bar and they'll just sit there for hours and hours and maybe just have a couple of drinks that whole time or something along these lines (laughs) and and you know they'll they'll find anything to talk about you know most of it you know making no no sense at all after time you know and, and i think that that's what we were after you know and i think that, that that you know sort of having different you know sort of accents from different parts of the world you know sort of helps with the richness of these things as well you know and and <clears throat> I think that that some of the things we put in there were just, I think they were just good characterization, personally. I mean, this 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 was before I started doing any writing on the game, so you know, sort of like it was, you know, um, the two writers that worked on that game were, were uh, Dave Cummins and and Jonathan Howard, who, who did a great job. And I yeah, think absolutely. That, I think that that. It's just, you know, sort of like the characters are so good that you expect them to say these things, you know, and and we got some good voice actors to to deliver on that. And I think that, that all these things come together to to add a richness in, into that. Yeah, I think that's another important thing about uh, when the Revolution games and Broken Sword in particular, the voice acting is spot on. And the accents, <laughs> even though they're exaggerated, maybe they're you know it feels natural. <laughs> yes, yes, and and I, I think that you know sort of like we put a lot of of work in at the time, you know, getting the right getting the right voices, you know, casting the right people, and and, and so on. And I think that you know sort of like. There are games that really stand out, not not just you know sort of like revolution games, but a number of games that really stand out because they got the voice acting right. And you see a lot of games they've, they've obviously tried to do the the voice acting on the cheap or something, and oh, sometimes it makes me cringe. You yeah, think, that, that person just can't do that accent, or you know sort of they they don't understand really you know about 
acting. And I mean, I'm not an actor. Um, you know, and I, I I can put on a silly voice, but I can't really act. And I think that that people don't, you know, a lot of people think anybody can act. But there is, you know, a good actor will have a richness to their voice and a, and a control of their voice that, that most of us just do not have. And I think that that's that's what makes the difference, um, you know, sort of like and, and I've had the pleasure to work with some fantastic people, you know, during you know voice recording sessions. And, you know, when they just deliver line after line after line so well, particularly Rolf. Rolf is brilliant, you know, because, you know, sort of there are so many George Stobart lines in the game. Or in the games, should I say, as soon as he's done multiple ones. <laughs> And he can just he can just deliver that consistent quality all day, you know. It's just so good, is Rolf. Uh, you know, I really really appreciate, you know, sort of all, all the hard work that he's put into those into those games, and yet you know manage that consistency, you know, each time he's he's, he's played George. Yeah, and he can go from, you know, a serious line to a comedic line, sometimes, you know, one after the other <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in, in Broken Throne. And he does it so, so well as well. And then there's, you know, a character that's threatening George Stobart, which is a very serious moment. And then in that conversation, he just breaks the tension. You know, he but there's a line in Broken Sword 1 saying, oh, what about the dog? Because there's, a, I think, one of the villains saying, imagine the man coming home to his wife and kids and... Uh, he's dead or they're dead or something. And then George Stobart says, what about the dog? Wouldn't you have a dog? But <laughs> 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 well, no, you're absolutely right. And um, and then I want to ask you a specific question about Broken Sword 2, which I believe on the Adventure Gamers forums you referred to many years ago, which I remember I wanted to ask you. Now, this probably could be a little spoiler, but then... It's over 20 years old. Most people are sure have played it. So, yeah, you if know, you haven't played not, it, shame on you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the ending, but it's a, it's a minor character. I believe her name is Emily. Is it the child who George Stobart meets? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because you mentioned as well uh, that the child was actually dead in the game, that it was a ghost. Uh, what, what, what can you tell us? Because I have to say the first time... I played it, it completely passed me by. And then I read your comments and I played through it again. I was like, oh, this is actually a different way of looking at it. Yeah. So what was, what was, what was with a, Emily? <laughs> yeah. No, she, she is a ghost in, in the game. And she died a few years earlier. Um, but, you know, sort of like that information is quite subtle, subtly given, as it were. Um but once you realise that, then what she says and does makes sense, and how others refer to her makes sense. Um, you know, but it, you know, sort of like there is there is a point in the conversations where you know they do make reference that you know, sort of like um, she's no more. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is now, but but yes, it, it's. It's a strange thing because, I mean, I worked on it and I, even I didn't know at first. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was kind of like, oh, oh, really? And, you know, sort of. But, yeah, we have two ghosts in that game, don't we? Yeah. What was the 
Because the other one is, it, yeah, appears in the underground. The tunnel, is that it? Yes. And that's well, where you meet Robert Foster, is that correct? In Broken Sword 2, where Nico meets Robert well, Foster, is that? Yeah, kind of. No, if you, when you go down into... Oh, yes. You've been, at the, you've been in the British Museum and you found the secret exit. It's it can, takes, yes, I remember. Yes. down to the abandoned subway station. Um, and there is a ghost that appears. Um, and if you use the chocolate on the ghost, that's when you get access to the tunnel where you meet Robert Foster. But that's just some sort of um, hallucination, isn't it? Because this, she's eaten this you know, sort of decades-old chocolate. <laughs> oh, I never thought of it like that. I have to replay it again. But I love how you know the little details in the, your game that you made. That, as this reviewer said, really makes it worth it. That and adds replayability as well um, to those games. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, that's because the first time when I played through, I mean, I never realized that she was, uh, uh, you know, a ghost. And then it's like, oh wow, this is just, it, you know, makes me think about this whole section completely differently. <laughs> but yeah, because you also have. Um, written a book as well, you know, as well as working, and you've had great experience working on these games. But you also wrote a book as well for writing, I believe, in in games and writing narrative. Well, I'll let you, you know, tell us why. What 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 is the book then basically about? Um, well, the book's called Writing for Video Games, um, and basically, I was approached by the publisher who'd read a couple of my articles online and and liked my style of writing. And they wanted a book on game writing as part of their, their, um, you know, sort of like they have a series of of books on, you know, writing to television and film and stage and things like this. So they wanted one on video games. Um, So I came up with a proposal based on that and, you know, sort of with, with a paragraph outline of each of the chapters and, and, and so on. And they were happy with that. And so I went and read it, uh, wrote it, read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and wrote it. And, and basically it's not, they wanted something that was, that wasn't aimed at the games industry, but aimed at people who might have, you know, might have writing skills, in other areas, they might have, you know, written for the stage or they might have written for TV or something like this. And they wanted, you know, sort of like it to be approached from that, that's that viewpoint. So it's, it's, it's more, it's much more of an overview than a really kind of like hardcore game that broke about game writing, which, you know, um, some people don't like it because of that. I think it should be, um, it should have a lot more, you know, instruction about how to write for games, which I can I can see, but that wasn't the brief that I was given. So you know, I've, I've got to, you know, you got to write your book according to the brief. Right. You know? I mean, I'd love to I'd love to write one that was really all about, you know, sort of like taking an idea from scratch and, and developing it into a game, you know. Um, you know, and how you deal with the different stages and, and, and so on. Um, and I've, I've, I kind of a, approached the publisher with this idea, but they, they didn't really want to do another another game writing book. So 
So it's kind of on the back burner. (laughs) I have a a very big back burner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd I'd love to see see you write it, because I suppose this one, is it... um, you had to make it more accessible then, as you mentioned, to people who are not involved in the games industry. Yes, yes, that that's basically it. Um, I mean, there are, there are examples of uh, of how you might approach some writing, um, but it doesn't go into real depth. Um, and I think that some people didn't like it because of that. However, there was one guy, there was one guy I know, who's Oh, his, his name his name escapes me. Somebody McRae, I think it is. Ed, Edwin McRae? He he develops games now. But he only got into game writing because he read my book. Oh, well, <laughs> then that is a success. And, so. and he... Oh, yeah, I feel so embarrassed about... You know, not quite got his name right. Um, but, you know, sort of like he openly says that, you know, that... That is the reason you got into game writing. So, so some people got a lot out of it, um, and others did not so much. So, so you know, sort of, it's. I mean, it came out fourteen years ago now, so it's a little bit, you know, dated. Um, you know, but some of the core stuff is still is still valid. Yeah, I suppose you know nowadays it might be more important than ever because with games and. You know, TV series or movies—they're kind of, you know, joining together because we we have now FMV games which are written by TV writers. I don't know if you heard of the game The Complex, um, which it's an FMV game. Now, don't ask me the the names of the people. I believe the writer of that game was one of the writers on The Handmaid's Tale, I think. And then there are others as well, a director, like a movie director. So they made it like a, a movie, but as a game, like, well, you know, game, the, the, the puzzles really are just choices mainly, but they have like this, they're joining together fusion of games and, and movies. So I suppose this book might really help to try and, um, you know, join together because I imagine, and I know what Charles has said in the past as well, that he feels that writing for games, in particular adventure games, he feels is more difficult, more challenging than writing for books or TV series or movies because writing for those things is more linear, whereas there's a lot of other things that you have to consider when writing for games. Uh, what are your um, thoughts about that? Or? Uh, yes and no. I think that um, I think that any any form of writing is is you know to do it well is a challenge, um, and I think that. That sometimes people people forget that. I mean, if you're writing a short story, it doesn't take you as long as writing a film. It doesn't, which doesn't take you as long as writing a video game, maybe. But that doesn't mean that a short story is any less of a challenge. I think you know sometimes it can be much more of a challenge because you have fewer words in which to explore your ideas. But you know, sort of like there are additional tasks that you need to do in writing for video games that you probably don't do in other media definitely don't do in other media you know the inter you know so like sometimes it's the interactive nature of the story or sometimes it's how you fit a story with the interactive nature of the gameplay you know right because because not not all game stories you know you get to choose paths 
through the story and stuff like this. I mean, Broken Sword, for instance, you know, sort of you always end you you always end up at the same ending. I mean, you might you might choose some things differently. You might wander around Paris slightly differently than than somebody else, or you might go to Spain before you go to Syria, or vice versa. You know, so 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 the right there is some player choice there, but it's but it all still comes together fundamentally in the same way at the end, and you get one ending. Um, but at the same time, there, that was an awful lot of work. There was a lot of work, you know, developing the story, developing the story so that, you know, the puzzle it supported the puzzles, and and creating the puzzles so they supported the story. So it's not just, I mean, this is where you kind of get your narrative de- design coming in. And people, you know, sort of, I, I, I find it difficult to think of narrative design as a thing on its own. Because I think it's where the writer or writing team meets the design team, you know, sort of like, and it's that kind of meeting, that middle ground. How are we designing this narrative so that it fits with the gameplay and vice versa? And I think that it's an important part of the process, but I'm I'm very reluctant to to see narrative design as a task in itself, you know, as somebody who can go, oh, I'm just a narrative designer, you know, it just feels as though narrative design is something a writer does, you know, a, a screenplay writer will design the narrative for that that screenplay. What we have in games is the fact that. It's about interactive narrative design. Um, And I think that that sometimes game development is is a bit guilty of either appropriating things slightly wrongly or, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of like using them in ways that maybe, you know, sort of like other other genres or, or, sorry, not genres, other media um, don't quite see in in the same way. On that topic, you know that you mentioned that designing narrative design and then with the, you know the writers and the designers, because one of the articles you wrote actually is about the puzzles, which mm. is titled "Designing Puzzles Backwards," yep. and it's a fascinating article. It's um, you know, because that's one of the things that I ask game designers or adventure game developers is, you know, how do you write the story and integrate the puzzles and gameplay into the story to make it, you know, interesting and engaging for the player? Because I think that if I ever were to design a game, I think that's the part where I would struggle with most, probably myself. Um, but what, what did you, you know, are you able to tell us more about what you meant by designing puzzles backwards? Because you had a great example in Broken Sword 2 of this type of puzzle. Yes, I think that that ultimately it's it's you know you've got to decide what the goal is, what the obstacle you you know stops you stops you achieving that goal. So in in the in the example that I used, which was in Broken Sword Two, where George has to get over the fence um, in the docks, um, the obstacle that stops him is the dog. You know, otherwise he he just he just climb over the fence and be on his way. So there's a dog there, which every time he goes near the fence, backs at him. So obviously you've got to get rid of the dog. So you kind of work back from there. Um, so you know, sort of like, well, I, you know, perhaps we could get get rid of the dog by dumping him in the water. 
but how are we going to dump him in the water? Well, I need to go, you know, so you need to find, you know, how that might be possible. But then, you know, yes, you, you can find the means to dump him in the water, but how are you going to lure him into that spot? Oh, well, I need to find some dog biscuits. The trouble is the dog biscuits are then, you know, sort of like in the hut where the guy is. How do you get the guy out of the hut? So it becomes this whole, you know, backwards, you know, um, series of, of, of uh, almost a list of things that, that, that George got to do. But you work backwards from that from that end point and you cover all these things. And, and the more that you can complicate it, the richer the puzzle becomes. So, I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to um, take the take the the top off the chimney. You've got to find a bottle to put down in into the chimney to so it fills the hut with smoke. But the bottle is floating in the water. That means that you've got to get the um, the the boat hook in order to hook the bottle out and 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 so on. And so there's this whole series of things that you've worked back, from, you know. You've created by working back from the obstacle, you know, from the goal and the obstacle that stops you getting your achieving your goal. So it's yeah. not just a it's not just a simple puzzle mm. of of oh there's the dog dump the dog in the <laughs> in the water. It it becomes a whole series of mini mini puzzles that that add to this big puzzle. You know, there's too many kind of like simple puzzles of you know. You use this object on this thing, mm. um, and 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 there's plenty of that, but that isn't the end in itself. It's just part of a bigger puzzle. It's like in Beneath Steel Sky, and this is one of my favourite puzzles. Um, I didn't design this. Um, on one of the first screens, uh, Foster gets goes outside onto that small platform and across. Across a gap is is the security building. There's a big the biggest symbol on on the building, and um, you you need to get into that building. Um, but you actually work through a huge number of things in order to get you know the cable and the grappling hook, which which will then you know allow you to get into that building by swinging across. You know you've got to. You got to find Joey. You got to, oh, oh sorry, you got to find this robot shell. Put that Joey card in him. You have got to, you know, add that welder shell onto him. Get him to, you know, cut the cable and go down onto the lower level and get the cable. And then you've got to distract the guy in the anchor insurance in order to, to get the, you know. And there's a whole series of things, you know, that that come together. And you can't just kind of go. Oh, we'll do this, and then we'll do that. And you've got to kind of start with your, your end goal and work backwards in order to for all these things to come together. Yeah, I think that's one of my issues with a lot of the puzzles is that you don't have a clear objective. That it's like people designed, and as I said, if I were ever designed puzzles, they might not be very good. You know, <laughs> need to start with that. But some of the games that I've played that that are not logical that you're like why am i doing this why am i mm. picking up these items and using these items together you know why am i getting this to happen and then it's, oh that happened oh i didn't expect that to happen but great but what you're saying you know that you have an objective and you have to meet the objective you have to solve all of these puzzles that mm. uh you know mini puzzles to become part of this puzzle as well that you, you're always thinking logically okay how do i do this 
you know, to get to here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, and, and the puzzle in Broken Sword 2, I think you couldn't, I don't think we could be more, you know, I don't think we could be clearer about what the objective is and what the obstacle is, you know. So, so you know, sort of like, it's not that, I think not having clear objectives is is a problem in, in in games, not just adventure games, but I think that you know sort of like when you're when you're moving towards an objective, when you feel as though you're achieving things that that help towards that objective, then you know it, it might be even something simple like you know George goes up underneath the underneath the hut and pokes his head through. And he sees that the dog biscuits on a shelf, you know. So, you know, the fact that he sees those dog biscuits, he can make the link to the um, to the dog itself, which is his ultimate obstacle. Um, and 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 the player then makes the connections, doesn't he? Oh, I've got to get the mm-hmm. dog biscuits, you know. And then often George will make a comment on these things that kind of like nudge nudge the player in that direction as well. And I think that it is about being clear, it is about being logical. And and that's when we were developing Broken Sword and, and Broken Sword 2, we wanted to make sure that the that, that puzzles made logical sense within the context of you know the location the overall story, the, the, you know, sort of like the semi-real world setting and so on. We didn't want, you know, ludicrous things, you know, like suddenly to pull some some magical device out of a hat or something like this. We, we wanted things to be logical. Yeah, and I think you succeeded uh, in, yeah. <laughs> in those games that... Um, I mean, um, even... Even if they got puzzles, like, in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've, I've always, you know, said with the goat puzzle, I mean, okay, it's uh, it's very challenging. And I know that um, it's, it's the bane, you know, it's a bane to a lot of people who played Broken Sword, but it, it has certain kind of logic as well. I mean, when I spoke to Tony about it, and he said, yeah, kind of one of the issues was that it kind of breaks the kind of rules that people don't think about how to double click um, to get past uh, the goat but there are way way worse puzzles in other games even more modern games that i can think of that should be even a <laughs> lot more infamous but uh yeah i think the, the flaw with that puzzle was that you know kind of at no point in the game up to that point did george run so right. you know sort of the fact that you know you had you had to get the 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 goat to knock you down and then immediately click on the um, on the plow or, or whatever it was to to get George to run over there probably did, just didn't you know sort of make that connection in most people's minds and that was the problem um, the fact that you you know sort of like you, you had a couple of, of things connecting that way which which didn't make you know sort of logical sense in in the sense of well, he's never run before. He's just walked everywhere, <laughs> you know. Um, and and so you know, sort of, it does, it does, um, it maybe just you know needs a bit of a leap of faith with that, rather than fully logical. Um, and there's there's also another problem 
in in Syria. You know the guy who who's mm-hmm. doing the kebabs. Yes. And, and he has a brush that he's using to baste his kebabs. But that's the one that's come out of the toilets in the club. Yes, yes. Um, and the only way to move forward with that is to actually right-click on it to examine it. And, you know, sort of like, the player might have been doing this throughout the game, but there was a few, there were a few players who'd never been doing any right-clicking, you know, right-click oh, to no. examine. And, and so it was the first time in the whole game that the player was forced to right-click in order to move forward, um, which is is slight error on our part. Um, we we didn't realise that that you know kind of that was that was the case. So so you know sort of that caught a few people out. Not as bad as the goat did, but that still <laughs> caught a few people out. Yeah, I've never realised that actually because I was even when I first played it, and it was my very first adventure game. But even I was right clicking and then left clicking that I yeah. discovered it myself. But no, it's funny how you just discover these things afterwards when players play yeah. the game. So. Um, and then I don't want to keep you too long, so I know I've kept you here a long time, but it's... um uh, you, me. <laughs> I realise we've been chatting for quite some time. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, as I said, I'm sure you, uh, you know, you have, uh, you have to do other things. I don't want to keep you all day, but you've also worked on other games, other really big games. I mean, you worked on Agatha Christie's and then there were none, and you've worked on The Witcher and The Witcher <laughs> 2, but he was script editor, so... What what was your role as script editor for those games? Was it with the design uh, of the games as well, or? Well, with um, uh, and then there were none. That was a relatively minor um task. I, they wanted me to just go over the script and make sure it sounded British, um, because the game was developed in America, and obviously, Agatha Christie stories are, are generally set in in Britain. <laughs> so they just wanted me to to go over it and you know check you know things like you know like th- there was one I caught where they'd use gas instead of petrol you know oh, little, right. little things <laughs> like that you know um which are fairly minor you know right um there was there was a few you know ways of phrasing things that were very very american that they didn't realize so it, it wasn't it wasn't a huge thing but of course like like a lot of these things it you know it's the time taken because you know you've got you know a few thousand lines of, of dialogue to go through and, and you know you got to check every one whether they need it or not you know <laughs> so so it's still a task but yeah um so it was it was a small thing um with with the witcher i mean the first one was a huge huge job and they wanted to do it really quickly i said this is two months work no, this is a month's work. And I said, oh, we need you to do it in, in 12 days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, there's no way to do that. I said, I'd have to work 16 hours a day to do that. So I said, well, we'll pay you extra. <laughs> so, so they were, I was, you know, getting up early and, you know, finishing work and Molly's going straight to bed. You know, it was, it was a, you know, a bit full on. Um, and it was really hard because they had a hundred thousand words 
that they needed reducing down to about 65,000. Um, and when you when you think that you know a lot of the a lot of the dialogue is very short phrases, it's difficult cutting a third out of them. You know, so a lot of the hey yous became hey <laughs> and things like that. Um, but you know that was that was you know probably the most intense work I've ever done on a on an editing project. Um, Witcher two, the writing was a lot more. They, they controlled it a lot better. They they got better writers on it originally anyway. Um, but you know, sort of like with it being translated from Polish into English, they wanted me to go over it to make sure, you know, sort of the, the, it flowed properly and so on. Um, and that was that was okay. That wasn't as intense. Right. You still <laughs> still a lot to do. Well, though. Dave. <laughs> um, but then. Uh, yeah, so, so you know, sort of, there's been all sorts of different games. I mean, I, I wrote and pretty much wrote and designed So Blonde on my own. Well, yeah, I was about a, to ask you about that. In the sense that, you know, sort of, um, you know, I, I got, you know, I, I worked on things in a very iterative way, and I, I always like to do that. So I, I create an outline for a story, then the guys at Wizardbox you know, would approve it and I'd do the next day level of detail and, and, and get approval for each one. And then once the story was out, you know, sort of like fairly detailed, then then I started doing, you know, working in the puzzles to match the story um, and maybe tweaking the story if it needed it and so on. Um, so I came up with that. I mean, they put in a lot of minor details and stuff like this and they had to kind of like get it all to work in the game and so on. Well, you know, kind of like create this huge document which you know sort of like had the story the the you know kind of like high level puzzles the dialogue and stuff like this hundreds, yeah, I, I hundreds and game. hundreds of pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah i played that game i think when it came out and i and i remember enjoying it and i liked the character because at first you'd think you know the character she's uh you know this uh well blonde girl who's you know bit ditzy and that but then as we get to know the character as she develops and and i think that was a great example of how a character can change throughout the game and uh, mm. what was it was it difficult to write in you know for a character like that from the beginning that <laughs> well yeah sort of like we we wanted this you know sort of like um character who who, who was completely dependent on her parents, you know, her parents give her a credit card, her parents, you know, bought her a phone and all this kind of stuff, you know, sort of like she wanted for nothing because her parents were rich. And suddenly she's um, she's thrown into this, onto this desert island, desert island, onto this uh, tropical island. And, um, you know, sort of, she, you know, her phone doesn't work, her credit cards are no good, obviously. And, and, um, you know, sort of like she's she's you know a bit panicky. She she's she comes across as a bit a bit useless at first and so on. But then she's got to pull herself together really, and you know, sort of. And and we realised that you know if she was ditzy the whole way through the game, then then you know I think players would have got bored of her very quickly. So so it had to be a kind of you know coming of age growth story. Uh, about her, I mean, not only kind of 
trying to cope with a new situation, but ultimately, you know, saving the Islanders from the bad guy, you know, and and I think that, um, well, you know, sort of, I think it worked. Um, I think there's some elements could have been better, but um, but I think, you know, as a as a you know character story arc, I think I think it worked quite well. Yeah, I said I remember enjoying it, and then you made Captain Morgan, which I still have to play. And uh, but and I don't know why I didn't get around to it, but I you know I I hope to at some point because I've read good things about it as well. Um, and then you the last thing I'll ask then because I know it kept you a long time is then during the was it early two thousands you started your own company I believe. Um, well. Not as such. Um, okay. I, I, I turned freelance. You know, um, I left Revolution in 2004. I've been there 11 years, um, and you know, so I decided to go freelance. Um, and it was a little slow at first. You know, sort of, you got to find the contacts. You know, sort of, there weren't many. Excuse me. There weren't many game freelance game writers working in the industry at that time, you know, sort of like a number of us that, that year met up at, um, oh my goodness, there was a, a games event, game show in in London. Oh, what did you call it? Anyway. It wasn't um, by any chance, was it? No, that's... no, no, it was before, <laughs> before I eventually Um What about the games oh event? <laughs> EGX? I don't know if that's a no, relatively new no. one. Anyway, anyway, forget that. The name's not important. <laughs> but, but exactly. A number, a number of us met up, and there was like half a dozen of us, <laughs> um, you know, sort of like, and I think that we were the sum of the British, you know, freelance game writers. There was me, there was there was Rihanna Pratchett, who'd just gone freelance, for, you know, from being a game journalist. Uh, there was... Oh grief! It was Chris Bateman, who who worked previously on the. Um, Did he work on Disc- no. Discworld? Discworld. Discworld. Noir, yes. Yeah, that's it. Um, James Swallow, who's oh. who's done a lot of novel writing. Yeah, I mean, um, he's written a lot of a few novels now. Yeah, I think well, I mean, that's, well, his, no, no. that's his primary um, yeah. output these days. But back then he was doing some he was doing some um, game writing as well. I think he worked on was it Do Sex? Yeah, yeah, that's that it. He worked on yes. He, he worked on a few of the the army games, army type games as well. Was it Call of Duty? Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. Um, what else was there? I'm struggling to remember now. <laughs> so, so there weren't many of us back then, <laughs> but obviously there's an awful lot more, and quite a number of us are members of the Writers Guild of Great Britain, um, which you know sort of like is very supportive. Um, and I think that all writers should be in a union if they can. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so, I imagine so, there's so, more so. competition now. Um. Yes and no. I think there are more opportunities. So I think the fact that there are more writers um, just is because there are more opportunities to fill. 
Um, yes, I mean, you could argue that there is competition, but I think that, you know, you, it's it's not that, you know, we should ever view other writers as our, you know, certainly not our enemy or, or anything like this, you know, because if you're a good enough writer, you will get jobs um, anywhere. You know, if you feel that, that you know, sort of like, you're just being unlucky and not getting these jobs, then then I think that you need to look at your own writing and say, well, perhaps that needs to improve. You know, sort of like Rihanna gets the gets good jobs because she's a good writer. And, Absolutely. You know, the sa- <laughs> same with same with others. And I I, I got nominated for a, a Writers Guild Award for So Blonde, and, and Rihanna won that year. And I mean, I don't I don't feel bad in any way. I mean, she deserved it. You know, she obviously did a better job than than I did on on my particular game. It's it's one of those things, you know. Sort of, she's she's been a good friend, and I think that one of the things that that I like about game writing, uh, you know, the game writing part of the industry is that, you know, most game writers are very supportive of each other. And I think that that you know, sort of. And I, I think that, that game developers as a whole are very supportive of each other, certainly in the on the indie side. And I don't think that we ever feel as though, you know, kind of like they, you know, I don't, you know, it's difficult to see them as competition when, you know, so many of them are friends or, you know, or at least friendly colleagues, you know. Mm. And, I, and I think that that's beautiful, you know, and I think that, people have always been very good at sharing, you know, obviously, you know, sort of like there are times when you can't share because you have an NDA or something like this, or, or it's the wrong time to share something about project. But, you know, sort of like, it's, it's nice to be able to share processes and stuff like this. I mean, I've given a number of talks about game writing. I've run, I've run workshops. I've done some workshops for kids on, on, you know, interactive writing, which they love. (laughs) Which, which is always great fun. Kids, kids are fantastic. They pick up on it so quickly. You know, they don't care, they don't care whether they're spelling things right or whether the grammar, <laughs> the grammar's right or anything like this. All they want is to, you know, tell an interactive story, and it's brilliant. It really is. I can they imagine. Come up, they come up with some great stuff. You know, and they're always fun to do with those. Um, I, I can imagine. And di- didn't you did you release a game called Mr. Smoozles Goes Nutso as well? Am I remembering that? <laughs> yeah, that that's about oh great, that's about twelve years ago now. <laughs> yeah, was that, actually... was that was that released after? Because I remember you talking about it in the Adventure Gamers forums. Yeah. And yeah. was that was that released in the end? Oh yeah, yeah. You can actually oh, download I'll... it for free. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> um, it's on my. Um, junipergames.com uh, website. Uh, was was about, that the only comic? It's about the only uh, thing on there. You know, I, <laughs> I, I sort of thought, oh, I'll create this this website. I'll, I'll pretend I've got a games company. That never quite worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's up there. You've released at least a game, and <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. I mean, it, I mean, there was a there was a website called Game Tunnel. Um, which made it game of the month um, oh. when when it came out, uh, which cool. was very nice. Um, and some people absolutely love it, and other people think 
But um, I don't know if it was before we started recording, but you mentioned about people, you know, kind of like rubbishing. Yeah. I think it was it was the the in cold blood one, wasn't it? You know, oh, we hate your game or something. <laughs> yeah, or or was it beyond the steel sky with the three D? Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and yes, because we then got into three D with, with you know, mm. everything. Yes, and and you know, I I put before that I released the game, I, I did a demo, you know, sort of like first little bit of it, and posted it and. On the adventure gamers forums, you know, somebody looked at a couple of, of screenshots and says, "Oh, this game looks rubbish." Oh. <laughs> we hate your game before we played it. Um, yes, that. <laughs> and and it's it's so tempting to be rude back. I know. <laughs> you know so so um, but I didn't. You know, I thought no, no, I'll. I'll I'll write a proper response to this. So I said, well, yeah, you know, sort of, you know, if that's your opinion, fine. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, I don't make games to please everybody, but, you know, sort of, I really appreciate it if you at least give it a try, you know, you can get, you can download the demo and give it a try. And, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, if you still hate it, then fair, you know. And, and they did. They actually went and downloaded it and played it and came back and all credit to them um, said, actually, this is quite fun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, sort of, it's a kind of lesson in don't be rude to, to people, you know. Even if you really, really feel like it. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, sort of like credit to them. They, they, they actually, you know, came back and said, you know, I, I've, I've changed my opinion, which, you know, not many people are, you know, are, are um, able to do, are they? You know, you get a lot of people who would probably, you know, just go off in a huff or something oh, like that. Now, nowadays, yeah, I'm not sure how many people would change their opinion or admit that they have changed their opinion online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and you might have hated it, you know, sort of. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, sort of, I can't, you know, I can't demand that people love my games, you know, and and I'm sure there are a lot of people who, who would hate it, but you know, perhaps if you gave it a, a try, then you know, then form an opinion, that's fine. Um, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who who are very willing to to be be critical before before really thinking. And I think that that's a, that's a trouble. I mean, I'm working on a on a thing at the moment, on and off, um, a, a a game based upon my character Krogel, which will be an adventure game, but we'll have some magic in it and and and, and such. So <clears throat> so puzzles might not be as you know sort of like initially obvious, but they will be logical within. The rule set that I'll, I'll establish for this this game, you know, and 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 it's it's two D, it's it's you know kind of like hand drawn backgrounds. Well, hand drawn in the sense that I'm drawing them in Photoshop, <laughs> but um, but you know, kind of they have a, you know, it builds on my experience with with Broken Sword and the like, um. A lot of work to do. I mean, I, I don't know when it will be released. I have no idea, but it's something ongoing. And 
um, hopefully will will come together eventually. Um, but it's at 4K resolution. It hopefully will come out on a number of platforms um, because it's it's built in Unity and will um, will export to those um, different platforms because of the way that Unity works. Great. Is there is there any way we can find out about the progress that you're making with this game? Are you writing anywhere or? Yeah, it's it's crow-girl.com and there's the various pages of the comic. Um, but there's also um, some some stuff about the game, some some early screenshots and, and so so people can see the Oh yes, I stamp. see it now. Yeah. Oh, uh, that looks nice. Images and stuff like this. I'm still you know sort of like developing developing that. Um yeah, I'm quite pleased with the the visuals, um, and you know, got talking crow. <laughs> <laughs> Always like a talking crow. <laughs> yeah, only only crow girl, nice. only crow, crow girl can can understand the talking crow. It only talks to her. <laughs> to everybody else, it just <laughs> and um, you know, so of um, I was showing this on on Facebook when I first started having ideas for it and um, Rolf Saxon liked it. I said, Oh, you can be the voice of the crow. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so, so hopefully fingers crossed that and get, I can get Rolf um, when I, when I, um, when I eventually record it. I've seen the screenshots and they look really nice actually. And now you just added Rolf Saxon as a crow and you know, you know, I, I'd be saying that meme, you know, take my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been wondering whether I ought to do a um a Kickstarter or something like that for it. But uh, I haven't decided that yet. I think yeah. I need to, to be a bit further along before I do that. Sure. Yeah. You can't just go do a Tim Schafer say, I want to make a game. Give me three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> no. Because uh, yeah. because I'm doing it all myself. Apart right. From, apart from the music, a friend of mine. Uh, the guy who did the music for Mr. Smoozles goes nuts. Uh, um, he's going to do the music for this, but um, but everything else I'll do myself. Mm. Right, nice. Well, I look forward to hearing more about it. And um, so we'll be, uh, you know, I'll set, put a link in the show notes to to that game as well. And well, I suppose the, the last question that I'll ask you is: uh, Is there any particular game that you've worked on either for revolution or otherwise that you're particularly proud of i mean i'm sure a lot of games you know but is there anything that you go yeah you know i i'm very proud of you know of my work in that game um i think i think yeah I, I, everything that i've done I, I i'm proud of in some way um mm. because because the, the you know there's always people who who enjoy it you know you know, even if they're foolish to do so. <laughs> no, that's 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 an account. Um, you know, I mean, work, I mean, it's such an honour to be to get the chance to work on Steel Sky and and Broken Sword and, and stuff like that. But you know, I, I guess I guess I'm I'm most pleased with with So Blonde, partly because you know, kind of it was it was my first venture as a as a writer on my own you know i'd always, always worked with other writers at, at revolution so as a writer on my own it was the first complete game I'd, I'd worked on and so you know sort of the fact that that 
a lot of people did like it and the fact that it got nominated for an award was was you know quite an achievement i felt um you know but i'm still an ordinary guy (laughs) 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 harking back to something we mentioned earlier (laughs) and i think but before a little before recording sorry i wasn't recording that you that you guys are still really nice because if i had worked on broken sword i would be like yeah I made Broken Sword, but you guys, you know, you Charles yeah. and Tony and Rolf as well, you seem like really down to earth guys. That is well, just I think, great. I think, you know, we've, you know, it just it just doesn't pay to to get mm. with your station. You know, you start you start getting too too full of yourself and you just get slapped <laughs> slapped down by somebody. You know, so so I think I think it just pays to be humble and approachable. And I mean, somebody somebody. On some some site somewhere said I don't you know sort of you know all the things that you've done and you just you know you you like engaging with with your fans so much I said well you know that's that's me just being appreciative of of people liking what I do and and I you know I just didn't see it as a big deal but it's it's nice that people do appreciate that. So, so yeah, you know, and I'm I'm flattered and humbled that that people want to hear me ramble on. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've been wanting to speak to you for a while since I first found out you worked on Broken Sword and then on the uh, on the forums on Adventure Gamers forums, and now we finally got the opportunity to speak. Yeah, yeah. So well, I, I always enjoy you know sort of like um, you know having having a you know, sort of like fairly informal interview. I think that, that you know, when you can chat and, and mm. cover these things without, you know, sort of like there being, well, we, we need to move on to these questions. No, these questions, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, so, some, some interviews are, you know, sort of like need to be rigid because, you know, mm. sort of they have a, a much smaller time slot to 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 fill or something like this uh, or what have you. Um, so it's nice to kind of have a, you know, and it, uh, you know, an interview that that isn't on that under that pressure, um, and you can cover a lot more, and you can go into a bit more depth, and, mm. and you can circle back to things that you maybe touched on earlier, and, and, and so on. So I think that, that that's that's always a pleasure. And yeah, it's, that's it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you. No, well, th- thank you very much, and that's why I always like to give guests as much time as you guys need. So I try to put a time limit on it as such, but. Um, no, but as, as you say, it's been an absolute pr- pleasure. Uh, good thing is we don't need to go to a commercial break, so I don't need to <laughs> say, hurry up now, Steve. <laughs> the reason people should buy your game is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's been an absolute honor to to finally speak to you as well. And, um, you know, I, I think was it before recording or I, I don't even know, during recording that I was saying 2020 has been probably not a great year, I think, for most people. And sure, for... Me as well has been tough, but I've also spoken to you, to Charles, and to Tony, and now I'm speaking to a few others as it's well. Made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute. Oh my god! I've realised you know you should never meet your heroes. <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, it's Charles is great. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and Tony, you know, sort of like Tony and I would, you know, sort of like, well, up until recently, you know, sort of still met regularly for for a drink or a coffee, you know. Uh, but obviously we haven't been able to do so for a while now because because of um, you know the, the the virus. Um, but yeah, you know, sort of um, 
yeah. Tony and I keep saying that we, we we'll do something together and you know get, develop a game or something. But oh, oh, that's you know never 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 actually nail that down yet. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think. I have to get in touch with Tony then as well, and maybe you can get to Rolf Saxon to <laughs> to voice one of the characters, a, a crow or a rabbit. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but yeah, I like working with Tony. Tony, mm. you know, is, is you know obviously being at the heart of, of Revolution's you know sort of like output for for quite a long time. I mean, he helped develop the initial. Um, virtual theatre system when they were doing um, uh, Lure of the Temptress um, you know so he's got a lot of experience he's got a lot of knowledge you know and he loves adventure games so yeah, yeah, can't go wrong there <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we can tell from the games I think that there was a lot of hard work and talent but also a lot of this might sound cheesy but love put into it as well you can tell that you guys are very proud of it and as well you should be <laughs> Um, and, so. and, and and Charles used to beat us a lot, you know. <laughs> you know so so we, we used to have to work very hard. <laughs> no, actually, um, he would come out Char- with the whip. <laughs> Charles is very very detail conscious, you know, and so he will push and push to to you know details are right and and and, and are working right. And I think that that's the right way to be. I think that that you need to look at these details, you know, so you need to kind of like think, you know, would George do that in this situation? Would, you know, sort of like, is this puzzle working in the right way? Do we need to put a bit more, you know, another layer of of complexity on it? Do we need to kind of, you know, change this object for that object in order to, to make, you know, make it more logical and, and so on, you know, so, and, and, and Charles is very good at refining and refining things you know, until until they kind of shine. And I think that that's important with somebody who's leading a project like Broken Sword. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, so, I mean, you know, so there, were, there were times when we had some creative differences, but we usually resolved them um, because we both wanted the game to be the best possible. And I think that, that I learned an awful lot from Charles. Uh, and and Tony and the other members of the team, I le- learned a lot from the animators and the other artists. And I think that when you work with talented people, you always learn things. And I think that that you know sometimes we don't always remember to say that that you know that we appreciate you know being part of of a highly creative team. So so <laughs> well, that's a great uh, great way to end on, I think. <laughs> Uh, where, where can people find you actually um, online if they wanted to find out more about you and the projects you you're working on and you've worked on? Um, well, I have my own website, which is steve-ince.co.uk. Um, and I'm on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, you know, so, so there are places, you know, sort of. Um, <laughs> I don't always tweet as much game stuff as I should perhaps Um, (laughs) I tend to retweet a lot of political stuff at the moment with it being so dire Uh, (laughs) which which isn't always you know I think it it puts people off some people but that's the nature of the world at the moment I think that you know it's hard not to be political I mean you know so if it isn't you know people messing up stuff Mm -hmm. about 
the virus. It's you know this you know businesses you know business with you know Black Lives Matter, which is very mm-hmm. important. And I think that yeah, you know sort of it's it's difficult to kind of like separate yourself from from all the political stuff going on because you know it's affecting people's lives and, and livelihoods and you know some people are dying as a direct result of mm-hmm. you know some of these things that are going on so so it's important to add our voice and i agree and um that's not just say we we can't stop and, and make fun games and you know and you know enjoy other aspects of life but you know yeah, yes. well, I, well, I, lo- I mean, I, I agree entirely with you. And I told Tony that it seems like we're living in the life now of Benita Steel Sky. <laughs> that yeah, seems like we're living. That we're, no, 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 not there. There, there I, are no, there are I, no uh, cool robots. Yeah, I miss Joey. I really would like, would love a Joey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should be, um, be a game where you play just as Joey. Yes, no, that would be an idea. Um, well, I think I better let you go because it's been, it's been uh, t- thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute honor, uh, to finally speak to you. And, um, yeah, and I'd love to speak to you again closer to the time of, uh, of Crow Girl to find out more about that game. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, yes, I, I, I post things like, you know, if I've done some new sketches, I'll post that. So, uh, you know, I do post things quite regularly. Okay. Well, We'll be. I'll be sure to, uh, you know, to look out for those updates. So, uh, well, thank you very much, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure welcome. speaking with you, and uh, we'll chat again soon, hopefully. Okay. So that was my interview with Steve Int. I hope you all enjoyed it, and a huge thank you once again to Steve for speaking to me. I had a great time speaking to him, and I hope to speak to him again very soon. And also, what we didn't cover in the interview is that Steve Ince also wrote a short movie, a script for a short movie, and he has since expanded that script to a feature-length movie, and that is up on GoFundMe now. So if you want to help make this film a reality, you can check it out on GoFundMe. The film is called Payment, and I will include a link to that page in the show notes as well. And so that's it for this episode, but still plenty more to come. This coming Friday, I'll be speaking to Party for Introverts. Uh, they're the award-winning developers of uh, From Head to Toe. And they're also interviewed by The Guardian a few years ago. And they are working on their new game. And next Tuesday will be the final episode in the 30 Years of Revolution series where I'll be speaking with Rolf Saxon, the voice of George Stobart, who spoke to me about his time recording for Revolution and for Broken Sword and much more as well. So uh, until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. 
now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at advent game pod you can follow me on facebook at adventure games podcast you can also follow me on instagram at adventure games podcast as well and we're also on discord at adventure games podcast so if you our adventure game developer or adventure game player you can follow us there so again please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you